What's up, everybody? This is Grant, that cause artist. Welcome to episode 41 of the Disruptors for Good podcast. And today we are chatting with two amazing women, Laura Alexander Wittig and Lisa Mosiva. They are the co-founders of a new platform called Brightly. And the reason I wanted to have them two on is because they just have really amazing backgrounds on on sort of their career arc and, and what they have done so far and bringing that into the social impact ethical product ethical brand sector is really going to be pretty powerful and i'll go into a little bit about their background so laura was let leading the social impact search initiative uh, for google after working at uh, amazon and sephora and adobe uh, so she's worked for some pretty big brands and she learned a ton right and and how to take that skill set and put it into something that has a bit more impact to it, right? That can take those tech skills, can take those marketing skills and, and growth and scale skills to implement them to help social impact brands do the same, you know, and, and also consumers have a platform to go to and, and ask questions and, and create and, and discover new products that they may have never seen before and understand why these products are ethical and why they, they sort of matter, right? So Lisa's background is amazing as well. So she was the co-founder of a subscription box called Globin, which went from zero to $12 million in annual sales under her tutelage. So she comes from a background of, of building sort of a fair trade subscription box model, right? So she understands the landscape of what is the ethical brand? What can it do when it employs people? Um, what are the impacts of it and, and how to take that sales and marketing experience and put it into a brand new platform to uplift, you know, thousands of brands around the world, right? And and also hopefully thousands of new conscious consumers, uh, bring them into an educational platform and a discovery platform to, to really bring everybody together and uh, scale up uh, social enterprise and conscious consumerism. They, they also have a podcast. And <laughs> after just 10 episodes, it was one of the top 150 podcasts in uh, the United States on the Apple Store. So that's pretty incredible. It was number one in uh, the leisure podcast category uh, for a little bit. So they have uh, come into this industry guns blazing, and I think they are going to to keep doing that. Um, so their podcast is called Good Together, and I suggest you check it out. You will undoubtedly discover all kind of amazing things. It's a pretty long conversation, so I, I really hope um, you learn a lot from it. I always learn, of, of course, I always learn immense things from from every people, every person that I talk to. And these two amazing women are no different. I, I think that they are going to build something quite incredible. And, you know, have already started building it. I mean, it is live, brightly.eco. So you can check it out, but it is going to scale, I think, at a level that we haven't seen in the social impact se sector yet because they are both just in San Francisco and they're super talented and they're around people that understand how to scale tech, tech products and uh, tech platforms and content platforms. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Uh, if you have any questions, as always, grant at causeartist.com. And hope you, you guys and gals have a great week. Thanks. Bye. Usually I like to start with uh, individuals' journeys um, to, to how they get to, to where they are, right? And really they, they understand what their, their sort of next step is going to be in life. And, and it sounds like you two are at the, the crossroads of, of entering this, this sort of new, this new company, this new business, and, and this new sort of platform that, that's going to happen. It's going to be 
pretty big. I think. I think I, I've looked over it a lot, and I think it's been a uh, it's it's really really well done. And we'll get into that. Um, but we'll start with with Laura, your journey um, on how you got to start brightly and, and how you met Lisa and everything. So can you talk a little bit about um, your time at you know Google, Amazon, and Adobe, and, and sort of what what sort of tactics you you got out of that, and what what you really you really appreciated about your time there, and maybe specifically start with like social impact search initiatives at Google, like one, what, what does that even entail? Yeah, absolutely. So Grant, yeah, thank you for having Lisa and I on today. We're, we're super excited. We've been listening to your podcast for a while now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in terms of my background, so I actually got my career started at Amazon Fashion. Um, I like to talk about that a mm-hmm. little bit even before Google, because to me, it provides sure. pretty good context to, just to what I was up to. So anyway, um, got out of college, went to Amazon, and my job there was to sell as many shoes and handbags as I possibly could. Um, and mm-hmm. oftentimes, these were poorly made shoes and handbags. Uh, they sure. were made from dubious supply chains. They were made of chemically laden materials and plastics. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I actually got really good at that job. Um, so good that I was regularly driving millions of dollars a week from my own initiatives um, in the email market marketing channel there. And mm-hmm. from a professional standpoint, I loved that I was having some success. But while I was there, I started to kind of think about what my personal impact was on this damaging cycle of fast fashion. Um, I had the opportunity mm-hmm. to watch the true cost, um, of course, saw the negative impacts of the supply chain there. And so as a consumer, I actually started to do things like a capsule wardrobe, um, explored tiny living a little bit. I ended up moving out to the Bay Area and, and had a 500 square apart, but 500 square foot apartment with a husband and a giant <laughs> golden retriever. <laughs> so it was a little bit of necessity there, but it was also, um, you know, an, an interesting journey for me. Um, of course, I also became really connected with the slow fashion movement on Instagram um, and. Uh-huh. Oh, well, on Instagram and also in real life. And so that's actually how Lisa and I met. We met at a slow fashion um, you know, meetup. Uh, so that's, that's how we met. And we, of course, met okay. quite a few years, years ago as friends. But specifically to your question about Google, um, once I was kind of weighing what I wanted to do with my career at Amazon, I actually, Google actually reached out to me and said, hey, we're really interested in having you come work for us in the social impact search realm. And while that at Hmm. first uh, glance seems a little bit different than what I was doing of selling shoes and handbags at um, Amazon, I actually uh, studied international relations and multimedia journalism in university. So I had this background and this really deep love for social impact work. And one of the interesting things that I was able to sort of port over from Amazon to my work at Google was a deep love for wanting to connect people to the right information at the right time. And so while I was at Google, I was responsible for taking a look at queries that people were coming into Google and searching for around the world. Um, These queries Mm -hmm. were related to crises. So, you know, if somebody Mm -hmm. unfortunately was the victim of a um, sexual assault uh, um, instance, or if they were 
um, involved in, um, you know, in various um, other uh, areas of a, of a crisis, Google would actually, and they still do this, um, they will provide the most relevant crisis hotline to the person at the time of need. So my job was to manage that program. I did a little bit of work with our engineers. I also formed relationships with NGOs. So it was a very, very rewarding job. And for me, it also really started to put the gears in motion for me thinking about building a very large billion dollar business for social impact um, and for mm -hmm. profit, because I strongly believe in the impact of um, doing good when combined with a for-profit model. Yep. It's the only way. <laughs> I think it's the only way to to make the impact and, and global scale of change that or shift that we want to see. It has to be, you know, it has to be born from a foundation of, you know, business mindset and, and understand that that money, money powers the impact. Right. And I think we're, we're finally getting out of a stage in, in humanity where, you know, it, it's not a problem to make money doing good, right? I think that's absolutely a shift that shift that we're seeing is that we should not feel bad that doing good you should be rewarded for it monetarily, right? In, in some way, right? Just just yep. better than before. Um, and I think that's the great shift we're seeing. I think it's talented people like you two, you know, making the transition, right? Sort of leaving um, big time jobs to say, hey, I think there's there's potential here, and, and not only the for-profit side, right? But like the idea that we can take our talents and plug them into whether it's supply chains, um, whether it's just consumers in, in, in general, right? Whether it's text, textiles and uh, technology, that there's so many uh, different things within the business realm that haven't been touched yet <laughs> from a social impact standpoint. And uh, it's a wild ride to see all these talented people come into the sector now with those skill sets and now just really um, just erupt the, the industry itself. So uh, appreciate appreciate what you're doing because um, I know that's a, not an easy move to make. Uh, you know, from from sort of big time jobs to you know really following a, a passion that you that you have. Yeah, um, absolutely. And we're you know this is a new company. We're brand new and um, have literally both just made the leap. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't scary. It definitely Absolutely, is. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. But we, you know, we've actually had the fortune of getting accepted to a pretty major accelerator program down in L.A. Um, the name of that accelerator is TBD. They're about to do a big press release. So we'll let you know <laughs> once that goes live. Um, but cool. that has Sounds been good. a great signal for us, um, you know, give us a little bit of seed money to get things off the ground. So, yeah, Lisa and I are super excited. But, hey, Lisa, like... <laughs> Come on, like we haven't, you haven't even jumped in yet. I mean, oh, yeah, no, I've been waiting gonna... on the, yeah, I've been waiting <laughs> on the sidelines because when you were talking about, you know, like nonprofits and like believing in businesses, and I was like, oh, when do I jump in? I just like wanted, you know, to calm down before I start talking about that. Topic. Yeah, well, well, go ahead. Let's let's. Uh, I want you to jump in and kind of give a little bit of background because um, you both you both are so impressive, and, and your your background is just as impressive as Laura's. So maybe let's start. You know, with, with co-founding Globin, I mean, I think most people in this space is probably a bit familiar with it, uh, the company. But if not, maybe explain um, the journey to, to start that, maybe exactly what it is. 
Yeah, so I I would like to start with the with the start with the beginning uh, because basically my sure. uh, my thought process um, that led me to Globin and eventually to Brightly started uh, from the nonprofit perspective. So I was born in Moscow, Russia, mm. and came here, studied international relationships, um, international relations, just like Laura did. And but my thinking <laughs> originally was, um, you know, I believe that inter- um, massive international organizations like UN. World Bank are the ones that are making the most impact. But it took me like probably like two research papers in my undergrad and my first year of school uh, to realize that, you know, there's a lot of politics and words involved, but the actual impact is ha- happening on the ground. Uh, that's how I started then thinking about uh, about maybe inter- interning and working with nonprofits who operate on the ground, uh, be it in Africa, Russia, or any other place that needs the most help uh, at that point of time. And um, yeah, so that's how I um, I raised money for Haiti Relief, um, you know, after the hurricane for American Red Cross, interned with them locally, and then went on to kind of intern and work for microfinance organizations. And that was after I finished my bachelor degree. Uh, and that's when I was introduced to the idea of social business, right? The idea that all mm-hmm. businesses should exist, not just for the sole purpose of making money, but also for for the purpose of solving any given social problem. And uh, I'm a huge fan, and Laura is too, of Mohamed Yunus, uh, the founder mm-hmm. of Grameen Bank and kind of one of the first proponents of the idea of the social business. And yeah, that's kind of around the same, th- that time I also met my Globin co-founders back in Moscow. And I w- was very excited about um, their idea of helping artisans in developing countries through job creation and fair wages. I really mm-hmm. saw the opportunity to solve global poverty through uh through fair trade right through uh, i really yep. truly believe and will always believe that you know people all over the world just like us just like me and you here in san francisco or us africa anywhere in the world we don't need handouts we don't need free charity all we need to do is access to job opportunities and fair, dignified wages. And that's it. And that's how, um, yeah, Globin came to be. Uh, for those of you not familiar with Globin, um, it's a brand behind, it's a fair trade brand behind the Artisan Box subscription, which is a monthly subscription to ethically made, fair trade, handmade uh, lifestyle uh, and home decor products. Think like hand-painted mugs from Tunisia or uh, hand-blown glassware from Mexico, things like that. So, um, yeah, and then um, uh, spent a few years at Goldwyn and now I'm ready for my next journey. Uh, probably as scared as Laura a little bit, but I, I, <laughs> I, I could thinking about it it's it's a bit scary but it's always very exciting and ultimately very rewarding when you start something um something that you truly believe in and i was just talking to one of our partners and i'm like wow i get for my work i get to promote ethically uh, ethic truly ethical yeah. sustainable brands that's a dream job i'm good <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a it's, it's I'm a bit jealous a little bit. That's pretty sweet. Um, but I think it's a, it's important to talk about really quick the sort of growth that Globin had because I think it it goes to the point of what skill set you're taking into Brightly. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about the growth there? I, I think it's I think I think what ended about wait maybe twelve million dollars in, in annual yep. sales. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that was annual or if that was yeah. It's, just yeah. talk a little bit about coming from like zero to that. And then, you know, that's, a. I mean, I just think it's important so people understand like social impact is starting to be, a, it's a real, it's a real business. Like it's, it's, it is a real thing that 
people want. It's not something to, to sort of be kind of not laughed at anymore, but I think not taken as seriously as as maybe some people might might thought before. Does yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I can't agree more. Uh, we were just at the Credo Beauty Summit, which is a clean beauty summit this past weekend. And yep. we've been just mm-hmm. talking like, you know, clean beauty is not an issue anymore. It's huge. Sustainability it's huge, is yeah. not an issue anymore, right? You know, all birds, um, Everlane mm-hmm. and Patagonia. Patagonia is a billion dollar company, I believe, or 750 million. Yep something like that you know so sustainability is not an issue anymore but that's something why what i appreciate about uh, you know globin is based in uh, san francisco and brightlist too and like uh taking their best ideas for profit ideas and um creative engines of silicon valley and putting it for good um and yeah me personally i'm extremely passionate about challenging uh, ethical business founders uh to grow and scale rapidly and to compete with Mm -hmm. big boxes companies um so that's kind of my personal passion and also what i'm looking forward to be doing um you know with brightly as brightly scales we will be able to lift all of the smaller brands uh, along with us so um yeah in yep. terms of skills um i have my only one of my only skill set of course as a brand co-founder brightly and globin you have to do you know 10 jobs at once sure. um, but mostly my main job was marketing and sales right i came to globin uh, wanting to measure social impact but of course there's no impact without sales um so I somehow, through my all of my previous internships and um, um, Globin journey, I've been doing sales and marketing. Uh, and I've never wanted to sell anything. I probably won't be able to sell you iPhone as good as um, shiny as it is. But um, <laughs> I believe in the mission behind the products, right? I never sold anything that's um, not a donation or not a product that I truly believe in that has a very strong social impact behind it. Um, so yeah, went um, from zero to twelve million dollars. You know, multiple thousands of subscribers, and yet still I always uh, look up to bigger players. Um, you know, maybe not mm-hmm. ethical, not fair trade brands, but that's that's who I'm competing with. Uh, that's who um, right. global customers were comparing us to, uh, and that's what I kind of want to challenge all, all other ethical business founders to be compete, competing with. Don't compete with each other. Uh, you know, trying uh, and compete with big brands. Yes, we are ethical brands. We're sustainable brands. So we're kind of almost making it hard for ourselves, uh, more more difficult for ourselves to operate because we have all the standards that other companies don't. But it's a challenge and we're taking it. (laughs) I love it. Uh, So, Lori, let's jump into Brightly a little bit. And one, I guess, let's kind of explain what it is because it's a a variety of different things. And first and foremost, it it seems to be a, a community, which is really important. And I think the one thing that I'm I'm really pumped about, but also just how did it come about, right? I mean, how did those com- those initial conversations go with you two, or did you call Lisa up and 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 ask, hey, would you are you interested in something like this? The, the formulation, of everything. Yeah. So uh, actually, Globin was one of the very first partners that Brightly had when we started off. So actually. Brightly originated as a curated marketplace for ethical and sustainable goods. Mm -hmm. And actually, that's how I, um, you know, that was the original concept, which was as a consumer, I couldn't find a single place to to shop 
ethical and sustainable products that that I felt was a trusted resource. Um, and so right. we started to have early brand partnerships in that space where we were, you know, sort of acting as a sales channel for those brands and did that a very quick proof of concept and wanted to see kind of where that went. And really what was happening was people were coming to us both on social, directly on the platform and saying, look, we're really interested in your trustworthy factor. We love that you're vetting these products and brands. We love your voice and your curation. The issue was oftentimes, and I'm sure some of the ethical brand owners that are listening to this um, podcast will understand, um, it's, it can be difficult for marketplace concepts to make enough revenue out of the gate with their you know, transaction fee and also they sometimes end up competing directly with the brands because the brands are able to have these wholesale margins. So like think about Black Friday where um, a popular brand might run 50% off. Well, a marketplace mm -hmm. is probably not going to be able to do that because they don't have those wholesale margins. Um, I also think that's why there have been quite a few ethical and sustainable marketplaces that have come and gone in, the, in many years. And I think that's one of the reasons is there's really not a moat there. Um, and so... For us, we really started to lean into the feedback we were getting from users. And the feedback was, we love this. How can we learn from you? And so that's actually where um, I was able to take my background in media um, and also in tech and create a platform that combines content and community. Um, and we, of course, we also do have brand recommendations and product recommendations. Um, but in this case, mm -hmm. we actually send um, users out to the brands. Um, and so we really do see Brightly as the platform for all things conscious consumerism. Um, we want to make sure that we are offering the best information, the, um, you know, the best products, the best recommendations, but we want to make sure we're doing it from a, a perspective of openness, of brightness, um, and of non-judgmentalness, even though it's probably not a word. <laughs> we want to make sure that everyone that comes to Brightly, um, of course, and you can find us at brightly.eco, like eco-friendly, um, and sometimes we use that interchangeably, brightly and brightly.eco. But anyway, anyone who comes to find us feels welcomed and they feel empowered. And that is our mission, is to empower people to create change every day by doing small actions. And mm -hmm. you kind of alluded to the fact that there's a few things going on. Um, the most, by far, our most successful arm of the platform right now is our own podcast. So Lisa and I do host yep. a podcast called Good Together, um, where we will do quick episodes that focus on actionable tips people can take every day. Um, we've done a variety of topics, um, everything from how your online shopping impacts the world to how sustainable is the Super Bowl. You know, that actually came about because Lisa and I, when we were having some of these early company conversations, we would have these types of curious conversations over glasses of wine, right? Yeah. And I say glasses because- <laughs> just, just, be record just record it. Just record it. There's multiple glasses. Sure. Involved, so. <laughs> um, but, you know, for us, it really became a really fun thing to do and it continues to be fun. Um, and, you know, we actually got featured by Apple. Um, they called us the number one podcast for conscious consumers, which was super exciting. For us, that's just been it's been such a privilege and of course you're going to see much more content much more ways for um, many more ways for people to get involved in our community um, as we sort of make this a bigger and bigger company every every single day it's it's also might be just for full transparency how how in the future will the platform make money will it be from like affiliate links through 
the brands that are featured? Will it be sort of paid memberships through some type of community efforts? I think it's sort of important to to help people understand how these platforms work and, and when they use it, what sort of what happens sort of on the back end and how stuff works. Yeah, so you're seeing a rise in um, this type of business model where people come out of the gate offering unique value to consumers without actually selling them something at the beginning. And Mm -hmm. um, we have a few hypotheses around different ways we can monetize in the future, whether that's a subscription model, whether that's the creation of our own products. Um, There's a lot of things that we could potentially do, but we're very focused on um, creating this community around us and then listening to what they're wanting to do. And of course, Lisa, one of the reasons, um, so Lisa came on recently as co-founder, had been involved with the podcast, had been involved with us for, with me for many years, but, um, recently came on as co-founder. But one of the reasons why I'm so excited that she's here with me on this journey is she is a just best in class community builder. She did this with Globen. She's now doing this with Brightly. And so like, I'm sure she's like more than happy to talk about community building strategies because she is, like I said, just very unique um, in in that skill set. Yeah, I would love to chat about community. I was kind of, again, waiting uh, politely to when I can (laughs) jump in. Uh, But yeah, community is something uh, that I'm going to be leading with Brightly. And I'm extremely excited about that because, again, I never really wanted to sell anything. But the way I kind of wrap my head around marketing and sales, I saw it as more opportunity to build a community around brand uh, versus just selling stuff to people. Uh, Even with Globin, even though it was fair trade product, handmade they help artisans still people can buy from a brand uh, for many various reasons and again market is reaching a saturation to some extent it's not enough to be fair trade brand anymore it's not enough to be ethical there's if you look at it uh, almost every other brand is sustainable of course not everyone is truly sustainable but everyone everybody says so but ultimately for me uh, the question has always been why would a consumer uh, be buying from you or for following you, listening to you. And it's more, I think for me, it's um, about brand ethos and uh, up to founders essentially. So yeah, that's why I kind of uh, see, have always seen that community uh, building aspect almost uh, more important than just pure sales or at least as important. And uh, funny thing when, um, you know, I started community for Globin before and uh, I always kind of um, advise my ethical brand founders friend, if you're starting a community, make sure you're starting it for the right uh, for the right reasons. Because if you start mm. a community with the end goal of, uh, you know, selling them something, you will be... Uh, putting content out there that is not about community and it will uh, be all about sales and discounts and things like that um and by default the community will fail to grow does that make sense yeah totally i think that it's good to it's good to talk with with people with with so much experience because the the one struggle that i sort of have just internally myself right Mm -hmm. is seeing all the big brands transition right into quote-unquote socially conscious, right? And, and sustainable and, and these different things. And, you know, my difficulty is, is rewarding them with my dollars, right? Like I look at it mm-hmm. was, is that you don't get to destroy the world for 20, 30 years no. and make money and then make money changing your marketing strategy to become more sustainable and make ethical products and now make more money cleaning up what you've done. Right. So how how would you look at big brands that are coming into this space and how do you assess that? And do do you like it? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? Because 
they have still have I mean, big power and they can just take away market share from these little guys that are doing it the right way. Yeah, we totally we totally get what you're talking about, Grant. I mean, this is something we get asked frequently. I think there's a few ways to look at this. So one is I think it's actually kind of exciting to see the big brands taking notice and actually seeing that the power of conscious consumerism is actually working. I think for a long time before we saw this trend happening, there were, of course, us, like everyone on this podcast that believed in the power of conscious consumers, but there's also a lot of doubt about that, um, about whether or not it was going to actually work. So I think on the one hand, we should be actually be very encouraged um, by some of these brands jumping in. On the other hand, we have to make sure that, um, you know, from, from our perspective with our platform, we have to make sure that we are not, you know, contributing to any form of greenwashing. And so... Oftentimes, you know, if a brand, a bigger brand approaches us about a partnership, um, you know, I think a good example is like H&M. Now, we haven't been approached by them, but they yeah. oftentimes are are um, called out for these sort of conscious con- conscious collections. And on the one hand, they've got a huge platform, right? Like pretty much every single person, and yeah. uh, you know, has shopped at H&M. And so they do have a really powerful marketing platform and can, can make a difference. However... Consumers need to also be prepared to, A, support those um, collections when they come out so that the brands see that these are successful, but B, they need to to make sure that they're continuing to ask these questions. And Lisa, I'm sure you have more to add there too, but I, you know, yeah. I, I think it's multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely gives me hope that other big companies are starting to produce conscious collections. A lot of times, again, it's it's more greenwashing, uh, but at the same time, it does mean that the brands are I hear in the consumers, um, I see consumers vote with their dollars, basically, because more and more at truly ethical and sustainable brands are coming out um, um, in, you know, in food and in apparel, mm-hmm. um, accessories, anything. But uh, you know, one thing I'm and like as a fair trade brand or any ethical brand, once you say like you're ethical, um, consumers uh, sometimes like even like attack you a little bit uh, and uh, can be very critical of you, which is good because the, the consumer is is getting smarter they are more aware of greenwashing but at the same time yeah you have to be really stand by your values and uh, be ready to explain yourself and educate the consumer on the other hand my kind of my thoughts uh, to uh, brands who are like giving back or you know donating part of their profits to charity my ask from them is why don't you produce things ethically and have transparent supply chains to begin with, right? It's not enough to give yes, back and yeah. to donate to charity. Uh, do things truly ethically and sustainably, and that will have much, much more impact than any donation that you can give. I wanted to bring up, uh, to give a shout out, the book I really love. It's called Winners Take All. And uh, it talks about basically about things like that, like Phyllis Morris, a cigarette company, you know, uh, the billionaire company that basically makes their money from people picking up smoking, but at the same time, they're donating millions of dollars to build hospitals around the US. But why don't you not create the smoking <laughs> problem to begin with instead of building hospitals? You know what I mean? So that's that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, and it's also, to take your point, I think you've seen it historically through, you know, Globin and just through sort of the fair trade movement that, that sort of has occurred over the, the last couple of decades, is that instead of sort of giving back or, or doing the charity work, you know, in a certain uh, village, right, or town or city around the world, you know, if you're if you're an apparel company, why don't you just build a, a workforce there? 
right? Exactly. Once you build build something there to where that giving back is in the form of jobs where you are that it becomes super sustainable and that community will look at this company as an amazing company, right? And will be, you know, spread the word for you as a company in that region where that brand wasn't before. So it it seems to be pretty obvious on on how companies can really make a go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, but I think that yeah. the the challenge that we've seen is that um, it seems to be pretty obvious. But at the same time, I think, well, I guess charity and nonprofit sector, they have been so successful um, so that people, we still have a lot of work to do in terms of educating the consumers about the social business aspects uh, mm-hmm. versus charity. So like, if you're a fair trade or ethical brand, people just tend to ask this kind of standard template questions, how much money, uh, you know, you're donating or giving back or you know toms uh their one-for-one model uh you know consumers without digging deeper and international development aspects and looking at the local communities that toms is sending these free shoes they're not aware of all the ripple effects of this giving back uh, programs uh another shout out to poverty inc that's kind of touches on these topics and again talks about the, the fact that you know nobody needs a free pair of shoes no matter uh, you know where they live and how little money they make everybody wants a dignified job that that's kind of the ultimate truth for me do you want to jump in laura um i mean i, th- I think she covered it pretty well honestly <laughs> <laughs> i knew she would i knew she would i wanted to i guess the just... only the only thing i would add there is she mentioned a few really awesome um sort of netflix uh you know resources and one of the things we really like to do across all uh, facets of the brightly platform is to give people almost I don't want to say homework because that's terrible. Nobody wants homework, but um, <laughs> them resources to investigate more on their own. Because mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, sparking these conversations with friends and family is what is so crucial to the conscious consumerism movement. Um, I have always enjoyed just talking to, you know, various coworkers here um, in, in the tech industry who, you know, typically lean a bit more socially progressive, but half of the, I mean, probably more than half, like 75% of the people that I would just kind of poke at as it related to ethical facts, um, they would have no idea what I was talking about. But the more right. you kind of right. get them curious about what's going on and then say, hey, have, did you know how... Um, you know, how nasty the wine industry actually is and like mm, you're going through mm-hmm. these types of things with people and then saying, you know, I actually watched this ne- this documentary called Rotten on Netflix. Um, we're really hoping that, you know, that's going to spur more and more momentum you know, eventually we'd like to say, oh, you know, we'd love people to say, oh, I read this great article on Brightly um, and they recommended some great mm-hmm. resources to mm-hmm. me. So I, we mm-hmm. think that that word of mouth growth factor is really powerful. And then when you think about combining that type of knowledge with brand recommendations, all of a sudden we are able to reach people in a way that brands who are focused on um, I'm doing physical products um And, you know, that's it can't necessarily do because they can't necessarily speak to people in that specific way. Going back to (laughs) to Lisa's sort of history and and with with Globe in a little bit and the fair again, the fair trade movie, because I think it's important because that was sort of there was sort of like this food movement, right, where everybody Mm -hmm. kind of started to really understand what they're putting in their bodies. And then I think we're at a phase where. I think people are coming a little bit more conscious about what they're putting on their bodies now. Mm-hmm. And I see that's the kind of time that we're in. And I don't know what, what your thoughts on sort of, 
you know, fair trade and what's that, what that has done for, for the industry, for the world? Do you think it, it needs to progress even more? Do you think it's, it's really solid on the foundations it has now, or does that need to mature as well as industries mature around social impact? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so big proponent of fair trade, although, you know, uh, nothing is perfect. So like, I think fair sure. trade, as you mentioned, you know, lay down the foundation for kind of all the other movements uh, that came after. Um, and um, I think, but I, I think it failed to be like a massive movement, you know, like even mm-hmm, up, mm-hmm. up until today, like even, you know, Globin customers who could have been uh, with Globin for a few years, they would still confuse the term free trade and fair trade which was crazy for mm. me you know it's exact complete opposite so clearly we haven't done as much educational work or haven't been as successful in explaining what fair trade is and i think again as a marketer that was my one of our main struggles is like fair trade is not that simple as like giving back a charity or one for one even though for me fair trade is about social justice but maybe as a fair trade as an industry just didn't didn't simplify the message as much as um, it had to. And then um, another challenge, I think, with fair trade, and we have been uh, talking with Laura and uh, thinking about it for Bridal as well, is this crazy number of different certifications that there is out there, right? Right. There's fair trade conference, which is membership. There's fair trade certified. There is uh, fair trade USA, W World Fair Trade Organization. um, And that's on top of, you know, um, Rainforest Alliance, Organic, Farmers, you know there's so many certifications out there and uh you know i think ultimately they do confuse people and like i remember i wrote a paper uh run like when i was finishing college and that certifications it's not perfect system when you have so many confusing certifications and i think you know one uh fair trade industry did not simplify the message uh enough and second it may may might have over like confused uh the um you know, the audience at large about what it is uh, with too many certifications. And I like to compare fair trade with, you know, kind of a fashion revolution movement um, that mm-hmm. Laura mentioned, the true cost, uh, right? The tragedy in Rana Plaza that happened in 2013. Um, yeah. for those, uh, so for those of you who don't know, you know, a whole factory collapse in Bangladesh, killing uh, over 1,100 people. That's kind of like... Um, kind of made us wake up and start questioning how is um, our clothes produced, right? And then the Chukos came out and Fashion Revolution was founded. And I kind of felt that um, it's still definitely a niche, or, you know, the main reason why for us it's such a big success because we are very much in this niche. Uh, it's still not massive, of course, and I wouldn't say like mo- most of my friends don't know about it. But I think it was successful in terms of like... Um, uh, having people come together and with a very simple message, right? Uh, ask your brands who made my clothes, right? Um, so I think they succeeded mm-hmm. in like simplifying the message of fashion revolution and demanding transparency. Um, so uh, in that sense, I felt like fashion revolution movement, even as young as it is in comparison to fair trade, uh, was much more successful than, um, yeah, again, fair trade. And Laura, I want to go back to, again, I'm just... It- I think you two have just such a unique skill set from both angles that it's like going to be very impossible for you to fail <laughs> just because okay, the, the, the skills to the, the skill sets are, are just so perfect for this time period and and what I think needs to be put in place to scale this this sort of industry so what what sort of 
takeaways did you take from from Amazon, Google, and Adobe and say, hey, I think these are going to work for Brightly? Yeah, and thank you for that compliment. Lisa and I are just laughing. I think we have the same <laughs> thought around <laughs> we would love to send um, all of these compliments to, um, you know, towards potential investors, right? <laughs> you know, and actually, honestly, um, we we really appreciate your support. I think, you know, last year, only 3% of venture capital dollars went to female founders. Um, yep. And so it's that's pretty staggering. And actually, as we think about the potential challenges that we're going to face, um, we are building a billion dollar business and we mm-hmm. are going to be relying on venture capital to help us get there. And we are going to build a business that is sustainable in many ways. We're not going to be one of those crazy businesses that throws a bunch of money at Facebook ads and flames out in a year. We are going to yep. do it in a really um, thoughtful way. But I think to your point around wanting to draw on my past experiences, one has been I've truly seen the power of tech to help scale various mm-hmm. ideas. Um, I myself, um, you know, I did actually a lot of the development um, and design work of Brightly myself. Um, so I do come from, you know, more of a development technical background. I, I started my career in marketing, so I, I'm able to wear a lot of hats in that regard. Um, but I think one specific thing that we've been relying on is applying maybe traditionally seen as tech frameworks to what we're doing. So for instance, I'm a big systems thinker, and I like to associate relationships between information that may seem disparate to other people, but to me, it's all interconnected. And so that's one way that like we're able to take information that might appear on the podcast and actually serve it up in a variety of ways because we've come up with these various formulas that help us get there. I don't want to nerd out too much on that. So it's very a little bit. I love it. No, I I love it. I I love it. I want to do a I want to do a whole nerd out podcast. I think we should. Oh, there we go. We can. We can talk all about systems thinking and all this fun stuff. (laughs) But I mean, for us, that's really key, right? And there's so much good content online as well. Um, that, you know, the internet's now been around for quite a while. There's a lot of thing, a lot of things yeah. to sift through. So we're all the time thinking about how we can surface that, how we can potentially repurpose it for our Brightly audience and then give credit where credit's due, right? Get, send people back to places like Cause Artists, send them back to, um, you know, the Huffington Post, if that was mm-hmm. where the article mm-hmm. originated. Like, how do we get creative in that aspect? Um But yeah, I mean, like I said, I think the overall takeaways for me have been um, using technology in ways that may or may not have been thought through when people think about traditional e-commerce operations or even media Mm -hmm. operations. Um, And then, you know, this this tendency to want to build a billion dollar company and think really big, like we are not playing this game to to, um, you know, go, you know, we're, we're literally big going big or going home <laughs> and we will go home <laughs> if we have to, but we're not going home anytime soon. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree with you. Cause I always talk to whether it's, uh, investors or, or firms or just people wanting to put their money somewheres, or even people who put big money to charity, you know, I, I tell them, I'm like, why don't you look at social impact businesses to put this money because it's going to return such a bigger investment, not only monetarily, but the impact that you, you're going to make is going to be 10, 20 X. It would ever be exactly. if you just give 
something to to a charity that you're not sort of that familiar with. And I, I don't want to downplay charity at all. It's very necessary, right? There's tons of things that are very necessary, but they themselves can only do so much, right? And exactly. so I think it's businesses. Go ahead. Yeah, if I can interrupt you, Grant. Yeah, like I always love to throw that number at people. And I think one of our most popular podcasts to date is talking about like um, shopping consciously around holidays. But like some numbers mm-hmm. I did in comparison for last year, I think Americans in, as individuals donated about 200, uh, 200 or 200 billion if I'm not mistaken, in the whole of 2019, a whole year, right? Uh, but Americans as individuals, uh, we spent over $700 billion in just November and December on, on holiday shopping. So mm-hmm. I don't know exact math, but it's uh, so, such, <laughs> such much more like bigger opportunity. Does that make sense? And you will only need to get 5% of that to start to shop more consciously, right? And then that's a big, big time. Exactly business exactly i think the the one thing we can all agree on is that you know this is like i love the big thinking right it's so gratifying to 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 hear that because i think it is that sort of big of an industry because you're talking about business right we're not even we're talking about a trillion dollar industry not a billion dollar industry (laughs) we're talking about commerce global commerce is is a pretty massive industry to be in right and i think Shifting mentalities, it, you only need to shift a few percent of people on how they shop. And it, it's such a massive impact um, on a lot of different things around the world and even in, in local communities, right? It's like, how do, we, how do we start a company that maybe combats homelessness in San Francisco, right? Which is a big issue. So how do we start, how does somebody start a business and how do we get investors to invest in that business to help solve a problem that not only solves the problem, but also creates jobs, right? I think that's where we're at is trying to solve our global problems through business rather than through giving, right? And and try to have governments solve things, which I think we have enough data points that that's not going to work. And I think think we've personally heard a lot from investors around this exact topic that you're talking about, Grant, which is people are looking to want to um, bring in social returns as well as monetary returns. And so I think that's very encouraging, especially now there's been a lot of chatter about quote unquote climate startups. Um, and mm-hmm. so you know, the thing that I want investors and people to be careful about is not leaving the consumer out of the climate equation. I think a lot of these big name mm. firms, especially out here in Silicon Valley are taking that to mean investing in solar energy, investing in hardware solutions to climate change issues. And I think that's great. I mean, we, in order to really help turn back the clock, the damage we've already done, we've got to attack it from all of those ways and more. Um, But I really think that um, investors need to understand the power of the consumer part of that equation. And that's what we're really putting forward. And I think you know, it can be easy for people, especially if their their background is in engineering, a bit more science focused to kind of mm-hmm. downplay yeah. the consumer part of things. But I think, you know, you get it right. I mean, this is something that is a huge deal. I mean, Lisa, yeah, I mean, Lisa just said it. I mean, just look what we spend on through the holidays, right? I mean, just if that was allocated to a socially conscious sector, right? I right. mean, that yeah. is, is so huge, you know, and that's just a drop in the bucket. 
pocket. That's that's not yeah. even counting. That's not exactly. even counting like the other the other ten months. <laughs> exactly, and I think uh, as uh, the more um, consumers, people in general, see successful uh, examples of businesses that are truly sustainable and successful and scalable, the more the right. the we will have the shift in thinking, right? And the more people will start considering careers um, in you know in the social impact space, the more we will see uh, the effects and actual success of uh, impact investing, social impact investing too. Um, yeah. And again, uh, I think also, again, we have to keep continuing educating the consumer because I, I love uh, mentioning and <laughs> giving another shout out uh, to a TEDx talk by Dan Palota, who kind of uh, tells consumers not to look at how much nonprofits, he uses specifically nonprofits example, but we can say the same thing about mm-hmm. social businesses. Don't, uh, don't try to find out how much nonprofits or social businesses are paying their own employees. Like, you know, why is Amer- uh, you know, uh, American Red Cross CEO? is making like 400,000. But look at the, the size of the company, right? And look at the size yeah. uh, in terms of revenue sales and compare it to like a for-profit business. Why are you not questioning how much the for, for-profit business is paying it, uh, but you're questioning non-profits? <laughs> and how can social businesses here's, here's, compete he, for talent, yeah. right? And here's, but here's the, here's the weird thing about that, right? Is that we will, we will not get upset at a CEO making... million to destroy the environment, (laughs) right? And to like, (laughs) not, not do things ethically, but we say, oh, if you make that much money and do things ethically, that's a problem. It's such a weird dynamic and weird thought process that, 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 has been historically how we think about it. And that is just really strange to me. Yeah, and I think it's the same thing. And again, in this book, Winners Take All, the author, he brings up the points uh, how kind of the whole thinking about, you know, capitalism idea and then, you know, charity came to be back in, I think, in the 19th century in the U.S., right? Um, The first uh, billionaires, self-made billionaires, um, you know, you know, they made the money as much as much as they could, no matter using any methods they knew. And then they were just donating whatever, you know, extra money they had to nonprofits mm-hmm. or creating mm-hmm. their funds. So that's the model that we understand as consumers for, you know, a couple of centuries now. You know, for me, it, it just comes back to the power of the consumer, um, the power of shifting this cultural conversation um, that often comes up in our um, in our podcast, like we just talked about, um, you know, Valentine's Day is coming around the corner at the time of us recording this episode. And, you know, on our recent Valentine's Day episode, we talked a lot about the need for cultural shifts in so many ways, even just in the niche of Valentine's Day, you know, specifically around, um, you know, making sure people are starting to understand more about providing perhaps recycled gold rather than 100% new mm. gold because gold supply yeah. chains are interesting or potted flowers are a bit more, um, you know, eco-friendly most of the time than their their cut counterparts. And if you were to just roll up and give your grandma a potted flower, she might think that was a little weird. Um, and so the more that we can just talk to um, talk to everyone that is in our giant circles and say, this is why I'm doing this. I'm gifting you this, um, you know, mint plant because I know you like to mix a great cocktail. So you can now have this gift from me and create a wonderful cocktail um, for many months to come versus <laughs> me spending money on a bouquet. Like, again, this curiosity, this culture shift, 
that's what we're, that really gives us energy um, when we think so about I, inspiring change. Yeah. So what I've been doing lately for like uh, birthdays and really around like the holidays, or whatever, is that I will give people like a like some type of social impact gift, right? And it'll be, you know, something not crazy, right? It's just something simple. But I tell them, I do it purposely to tell them the story behind it, right? Because I think that plays uh, such an interesting role in getting more people in into into our community, right? And I think that simple acts of of gifting, right, is a great way to to reel people in and to help them understand that like these products are just as good as anything you can get on the shelves in any big box store right probably even better right most likely they're 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 actually better from every standpoint you can imagine yeah yeah we've (laughs) Um, done we've talked about gifting a lot on our podcast um especially around holidays again uh but yeah like the more personalized the gift is and i think the most important part is you know you talking about it right (laughs) again the grandmother might not understand what it's planned but if you explain it to her even i think the grandma (laughs) might come around and understand where why are we doing what we're doing the last thing i'll do we can we can sort of end on this is that how do you how do you talk to to the people in your life and and sort of even your spouses right or the people you're in relationships with that you're very very close to do you see that they by you being more conscious do you see them becoming more conscious as well or are you a, are you sort of afraid to maybe it's almost like religion right it's like a weird thing exactly. to like put on a person right it's like you know, it, it's sometimes it can be it, you got to tiptoe around it a little bit because like you don't want to be like I'm better than you or something like that. It's it's just like you want to you want them to to come into <laughs> to your world. You know, a lot like yeah. religion would or something. It's really weird, but it can be also like combative in a way, in a weird way. Yeah, and you know what's funny, Grant? I actually grew up in the South, um, in Texas, and I love Texas. Um, you know, I think it's a great place. Now, I think where I grew up has a bit more of conservative leaning, um, you know, values. And I think from our perspective at Brightly and like what we're trying to do is we don't care if you're conservative or liberal or wherever you fall on the spectrum. We understand that there is a human quotient to what we're doing. And there is the extreme desire for human beings to help each other out. Like that exists in everyone. And so to your point about like, (laughs) processizing and all that stuff, right? I think I, of course, started to inspire my family to create, um, you know, various ethical and sustainable moments in their own life. I think they realize that I'm not coming at it from a judgmental perspective, but from a perspective of joy and giving. I think that's helped a lot. I think as far as my husband is concerned, my my spouse, <laughs> he um, has, has been great to just bounce ideas off of. Um, to show that ethical brands actually work for him. I think there's actually a, a huge opportunity for men's brands to kind of come up and do some education. Hell yeah. Um, I'm sure you have thoughts on that too, yes, but like sure. my husband, we love to shop at Costco for all of our essentials. And we mm-hmm. always joke that he gets like half his wardrobe at Costco. And, you know, that is made from very terrible questionable supply chains. And he's done this for years and years. But really recently, um, he started to, he we he loves United by Blue. That's a wonderful ethical yeah. brand that yeah. he's started to champion. And so, 
yeah, I'm hoping that I'm providing um, a good role. I'm, I'm being a good role model for all of my family members. And Lisa, I'm sure it's, you know, both similar and different from the, you know, international perspective as well. Yeah, exactly. No, so with me, I think, and you guys mentioned it already, like you have to, we all have to come from like non-guilt tripping perspective. But at the same time, and I also, I'm, I have been pretty open with anyone I talk to, like uh, as an example, it took me like three times to watch True Cost. And like the third time I was in a panel um, discussion, like after the movie uh, to literally be like, that's it. Now I'm committing to only buying uh, ethically made products or secondhand apparel. Um, you know, so nobody's perfect and everybody uh, needs their time to come around and uh, you can't jump in uh, into it like 100%. You know, not everybody can afford it. So it's all up to you yep. and kind of your current situation. Um, so I think that's very important to recognize. And I think that's one of the things we're doing with Brightlin. One of the reasons why Good Together podcast have been re resonating with people because our ultimate goal is to inspire a billion people to take small steps mm -hmm. instead of, you know, 10,000 people taking, you know, committing to uh, leaving zero waste. Um, and yeah, same thing with my husband. Also, you know, he saw me you know, committing to this uh, kind of shopping habits and, you know, he begrudgingly or grudgingly, I don't know what's the word, the word you know, he started <laughs> doing the same thing. He kind of complains about it and he always threatens me to shop, you know, at Gap or something, and but then he doesn't do it, you know? <laughs> so yeah. that's a win. Yeah, but I will say literally 100% of every time that if I give something and I sort of say the story, it's it's all about the intention, right? On, on how you give it. And, you know, if you're smiling when you give it and telling the story, like 100% of the time, it has been like a beautiful, like educational experience, right? Because it's all it is, it's just people knowing. Once people know, like you said, inherently, I think people want to do things the best way they can. But if they don't know or understand it, and they're not going to care. But once they like understand and, and, and get it, like, they they love it. They're in, in love with it, and they are are sort of all not all in, obviously, because that that's very you know can't do that. But they understand kind of like the differences of 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 what this product is versus this one, and they're like, I never knew that. Wow, that's really interesting. Like, I'll look more into it. Right. So it it's a really it can be a really beautiful moment if you allow it to be. Yeah. So yeah and I mean, from though. a consumer perspective, the good news for ethical brands is that the fact that, you know, not just millennials, but I, I feel like anyone as a consumer, they're looking yeah. for more meat, like more meaning behind the brand. You know, there's so many choices you have as a consumer, you know, the same pair of shoes, like like how Amazon tried to store, to steal Allbirds design, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> but again, who people will buy it from, of course, it will be Allbirds, I hope, at least. <laughs> Well, uh, I appreciate it. I know it's uh, everybody's really busy and you guys are building something incredible. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time out your day. And uh, I can't wait to see uh, the growth in, of the Brightly platform because I do believe that um, it's something that is necessary for, for the industry and it's, it's very much needed. I'm, I'm jealous I can't build it on my own, but I, I think it's something that has been it has been needed for, for a while. And I think, it, it, you know, look, it, it takes uh, really talented people and it takes a lot of money, right, to, to build something at this scale of where, of where you, where, where you want to be. And it's, it's really, it's going to be very cool to, to, see, to see the journey of it 
And I, I really just have no doubt it, it will be successful. Um, so again, I appreciate the time and, and best of luck. Thank you, Grant. Thank you so That's much, really Grant. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. I we mean, really enjoyed we it. Won't be, yeah, we won't be able to do it, uh, you know, without our fellow ethical brand founders and people like you who are literally giving the microphones to people trying to make the difference. Uh, so we're all in this together. And yeah, we're, we're also confident in the success of our mission.